uh, just a couple of things. One is, the sermon I'm going to preach is rather intense and uses some very graphic illustrations. And so, if you have young children or if... Uh, you know, you feel like something like that might traumatize you. I just wanted to give you a warning to give you an opportunity to, to deal with your kids or yourself. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is I watched all these kids up here. You know, we sang, oh, what a pretty little baby. I just want to congratulate you. You guys make a lot of pretty little babies. And uh, it's, uh, let, me, let me congratulate you on your efforts to procreate. And so... Uh, Today I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, very familiar passage of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, as, and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him known. 3,000 years ago, Moses was standing on a rock on a mountain. And God was on that mountain. And that mountain was shaking by the might of God. It was surrounded by clouds and lightning. It was an awe-inspiring experience. And in the middle of this, God, the, the manifest presence of the Lord came to Moses. And Moses had a request. The request was this. Will you please let me see your glory? And what do you think he saw? A cosmic light show? Yeah. Thunder and lightning? Yeah. A being so completely resplendent that he, it was overwhelming to look at him? Yes. Yet God's answer to Moses emphasized none of the things I've just described to you. When God decided to show Moses his glory, God said, okay. But the essence of what will happen is this. I will make my goodness pass before you. Let me read it exactly. I want to quote it. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name Yahweh. 
and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The most glorious thing about God is how utterly good He is. The essence of God's Shekinah glory was not raw power, but His character. Not infinite knowledge, but infinite goodness and mercy and grace. That's not my words. That's the words Moses heard on Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago. This is what God thought was the best thing about Himself. You know what God thinks is the best thing about Himself? His heart, His character, His love. That is the ultimate glory of God. Yet, the goodness of God is often obscured in this world we live in, isn't it? Life as we see and experience it, can be interpreted in all kinds of ways, often bad. And you know why it's often bad? Because there is bad. There's bad everywhere. You see it on the news every night. You see it when ISIS does terrible things to people. We live in a fallen world, and not just a fallen world. We live in a world where there is monstrous evil. Elie Weisel was a Jew in Germany at the wrong time. In the Holocaust... He lost his father and his mother and his sister. He saw with his own eyes the black smoke unfurling in the sky from the ovens in which his mother and sister were burned. He got to see the ashes of his family literally going up. And he wrote this, Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget the nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live. Later he talks about his trip on a train. They were moving he and, and the other Jews around on a train of prisoners. They received no food. They were literally starving to death. They lived off the snow. Every day people died and they had to throw the corpses off the train. And every now and then, just for cruelty, the Germans would throw a crust of bread into the midst of the prisoners just to watch them fight over it. An old man, when they did that, managed to get a bit of bread. And as he went to eat it, he was savagely beaten by a younger man behind him. He collapsed and died still clinging to the bread. And the young man searched him, took the bread, and when he turned over the body, he discovered to his utter horror that he had murdered his own father for a crust of bread. And then later, Weisel talks about how the SS publicly hanged a 13-year-old boy. And while he was hanging there, they marched the camp by to look at it, to teach them a lesson. And Weisel heard the, a voice say, where is God? Where is He? The guards marched all the prisoners past the gallows and forced them to watch. For more than half an hour, that boy hung there, struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony right before our eyes. And we had to look him in the face. He was still alive when I passed in front of him. His tongue was roll, swollen and red. His eyes were not yet glazed. And behind me I heard the same man asking, Where is God? 
Weissel says, my faith died a thousand times that day. He gave up on God. He gave up on a God who could allow such things to happen. When the voice said, where is God? Weisel said, I heard a voice within me. Where is he? He is there. He is hanging on the gallows. He is as dead as that boy up there. You know, sometimes I am amazed when people tell me that humans are basically good and that we are not sinful creatures. You know, I'm, I'm amazed. I go, are you not reading history books? Are you not listening to the news? Are you not reading a newspaper? How you can observe what is going on in this world and say, we are good, it just defies logic. Why do I tell you this? Because there are two great questions. For Weissel, such evil and pain and suffering and death meant there was no such thing as a personal God in this universe, caring God in this universe. What, after what he saw, that he said, either God doesn't exist or he doesn't care, I don't care. All of us will have to face that question. What do you do in the face of such massive evil that goes on all the time? Because at some point, you're going to have to decide whether you believe circumstances and the evil of people or you believe something else. The Bible makes the audacious claim that 2,000 years ago, there was a child born whose name was Jesus. And into this child, God poured Himself, His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His essence, His heart. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. He who created the heavens and the earth poured Himself into a human being in order to take on this world's darkness and display God's light. He came to show us what Moses saw in the cleft of the rock a millennium before. He came to show us the glory of God. And what was the glory of God? His utter goodness. His love. His grace. His mercy. Despite the world's evil. It's not the kind of glory that's found on television or through celebrity or through wealth. You don't hear it being cheered in football stadiums on Sunday afternoons. It's not the kind of glory that gets you named People Magazine's Sexiest Man of the Year. It's the glory that comes from the pure and total goodness that is in the heart of God. In Jesus, we saw that God cares for even one sparrow that falls. In Jesus, we saw that God created for us indescribable beauty in nature to share. He gave us flowers. And Jesus said, Solomon in all his glory can't begin to match even one flower my Father has created. And He gives them to us by the billions. And every year, over and over, He has given us literally an infinite supply of beauty. We saw that the heart of God is interested even in the smallest details of our lives, even the hairs on our head, we saw what we dared not hope for, and yet we still hoped. We saw that in Jesus, God really, really cares. You know, Henry Nouwen wrote a book entitled The Compassion of God. And he said in that book, Jesus Christ was the concrete embodiment of God's compassion in the world. 
Jesus was literally God's heart on a sleeve. Jesus' response to the ignorant, the hungry, the blind, the lepers, the widows, and all those who came to him with their suffering flowed with divine compassion. It was love that made Jesus one of us. There's a beautiful expression in the Gospels that appears only 12 times, and it's used entirely to Jesus or his Father. And the expression is to be moved with compassion. And what it literally means, the Jews felt like, in their worldview, that emotion and compassion came from down here. And that when a mother flowed with compassion, it came from her womb. When a man flowed with compassion, it came from his entrails, it came from his gut. As a matter of fact, we use that phrase today, you know, he spilled his guts. He poured out himself. When Jesus was moved to compassion, everything in him trembled. The mystery of God's compassion as it becomes visible in the healing stories of the New Testament are touching when Jesus saw the crowd harassed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd, it said Jesus was moved to compassion. He felt them in the center of his being. When he saw the blind, the paralyzed, and the deaf being brought to him from all directions, it said he was moved to compassion. He trembled from within. When he noticed that the thousands who had followed him for days were tired and hungry, he said, I am moved with compassion. And so it was. When it describes Jesus' emotion with the two blind men that called after him, with the leper who fell at his knees in front of him, and the widow of Nain who was burying her only son, they moved him. Your suffering moves God. They made him feel with all his intimate sensibilities the depth of their sorrow. He became lost with the lost, hungry with the hungry, sick with the sick. In Him all suffering was sensed with perfect sensitivity. If you don't know if God cares, He was moved with compassion. The great mystery revealed to us is that Jesus, who is the sinless Son of God, chose in total freedom to suffer fully for our pains and thus let us discover the true nature of His own heart. And out of that perfect love and sensitivity, healing comes. Isn't that what Isaiah said? For by His stripes we are healed. For by His brokenness we are made whole. For by His suffering we, we are lifted up. He died so we can live. He became one with us so we can become one with Him. His loss is our gain. Hallelujah. That is what it means. This compassion of God. How does God answer Ellie Weisel's question of where is God? Well, God had three options. One was to say, enough. Enough of you. Enough of your evil, your cruelty, your genocide, your child abuse. Enough of you. I will blot you out as a species from the face of the earth. And there were times God considered it. Or he could have said, the price of human freedom is too steep. Look at what they do with it. And he could have eliminated our freedom, our individuality, our uniqueness, our capacity to choose good and evil, love and hate. He could have made us robots or automatons for the sake of order in this world. God can get rid of evil. That's not a problem to Him. 
He can snuff us out or turn us, you know, give us a lobotomy. Evil is gone. But he didn't want that. He would have eliminated creatures made in his image, capable of giving and receiving love, because love always involves choice. Love always involves choice, and Jesus would not take away our choice or our capacity to love. Or he could do what he did. Become one of us. Become one of us. Not eliminate our misery and wretchedness, but take it on and absorb it in his giant heart. God chose through Jesus to fully enter our experience, our pain, our suffering, our lostness. Think about it. We saw the one who made the universe grow tired and weary, just like we do. And he never gave up anyway. We saw the author of all joy weep with sadness over the death of a friend and the loss of a city. We saw the embodiment of compassion spat upon and beaten and tortured cruelly. And yet he never struck back and he never stopped forgiving. We saw love incarnate, betrayed and denied and abandoned by his closest friends even. And yet he never stopped being loyal to his friends and he never stopped loving us. We saw the most just person in the universe become the unprotected protesting victim of massive injustice and yet Jesus would not hate and Jesus would not become violent we saw the author of all life bleed and die and yet to the very end he said father into your hands I commit my spirit he never stopped trusting we saw him take the pain and suffering and sin of this world into his heart And it drove him to a cross in order to show us his love and to bear our sin and misery upon himself so that we could rise above these things. Jesus took our misery so we could rise above misery. He took our pain so we could rise above pain. By his stripes we really are healed. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory because, you see, His glory is His love. Remember what Jesus said just before He was hung on a cross. He said, now is the Son of God glorified. Why is the cross His glory? Because the heart of God is fully revealed. The love of God is fully revealed. Because the cross reveals the unconquerable love of God. Nothing could snuff it out. Nothing could make God stop loving you. If a cross can't make God stop loving you, what do you think you can do? Ellie Weissel was right in some ways. When he looked at that 13-year-old boy dangling on a rope, when he said, God was up there dying. In some ways, he was right. God was up there dying. Not dead or missing, but suffering and loving and and redeeming. What I hope that Weissel discovered is not that God died to him, but he realized that God died for him. 
that God put His own Son on the gallows, hung Him between heaven and earth. There is no hell you are in that God is not there. There is no pain that you are not in, that you are in, that God doesn't understand perfectly, perfectly the pain you are in. There is nothing in your experience that He has left out of His experience. There is nothing that has happened that has not happened to Him. He is with you. He, made, he became one with us so we could become one with Him. A famous Russian novelist and dramatist and historian tells of a moment when he was on the verge of giving up all hope as a prisoner in a Soviet prison camp. He was working 12 hours a day at hard labor. He was subsisting on a starvation diet. He became gravely ill. The doctors at the camp said, you're going to die. And he reached a point to where he didn't care. One afternoon, while shoveling sand under a blazing sun, he simply stopped working. He did so knowing that the guards would beat him and probably beat him to death. But he just didn't care anymore. He felt that he just could not go on. But then he saw another prisoner, a fellow Christian, moving toward him cautiously. With his cane, this other prisoner quickly drew a cross in the sand, made sure this man could see it, and then covered it over. In that brief moment, this Russian novelist felt all the hope of the gospel flood back into his soul. He felt the Spirit fall on him, and he felt the love of God pulsating through him. And it gave him the strength and the courage to endure that difficult day and the hard months of imprisonment ahead. That man was saved that day because another brother reminded him of the cross. It reminded him that God loved him enough to pursue him to this planet, enough to, to pursue him to a gulag, enough to pursue him to a cross and die for him. God suffered with him, and now God was with him. He was not alone even in this hell. God's power was operating even there in his heart and in the heart of his brothers. Such love, brothers and sisters, pursues us now. It is a love we never saw coming. It is a love we never sought out. One night in Bethlehem, the heart of God showed up in a manger, unexpected and undeserved. He came for us, just as we are. Our sin, our hate, our stupidity, our greed, our lust did not scare Him off. He came to find us, and He pursues us still. He came for the least of these. He comes for us now. Why did I tell you all these graphic stories? Why am I talking this way? Because we have romanticized Christmas. Christmas is not about candy canes and Walmart. Christmas is about real human drama, real human evil, and God's attempt to reach us in the middle of it. This is not about Walmart's corporate profit this year. This is not about how fuzzy Christmas can get. You don't know how much God loves you until you see why He loves you and how He loves you even at the bottom of the barrel. Jesus' heart was revealed. God's heart was revealed. And I love it again. 
and we beheld it. We have seen the glory of God in its fullness. Hallelujah. All of us at some point will have to ask the question, where is God? There will be some point in your life during that divorce or during during the cancer or when you have lost your job or when somebody betrays you. At some point in your life, trust me, you will ask that question too. Where is God? And you will have two choices in the end. You can believe like Weisel, the testimony of circumstance and the cruelty of the world. Or you can believe the testimony of Jesus Christ the Word of God made flesh, who brought light into the world and the world could not overcome it, and who came to bring us God's true glory. And again, His glory is the utter goodness of His heart and the mercy and the grace He came to bring. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas! We now are going to serve communion. The servers can come forward We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you to the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of this Holy Spirit. Communion is up front. We ask you to exit the right side. Come across, take the bread and the cup. You can sit at the front. You can go back and sit back there. But we ask you to worship and to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what you've heard today. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We're going to do likewise, but before we do, I want to take just one moment and let you meditate on what Jesus saved you from, what Jesus forgave you of what Jesus got you through can we take a moment and then ask the Lord to forgive us for forgetting and living otherwise let us take a moment Lord Jesus, forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for living as if these truths don't matter. Help us, Lord, this Christmas to remember. Amen. Please read the responsive reading with me. 
Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. This time we will begin to partake of the communion. 